When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. Coming up on today's episode, we are focusing on some important issues surrounding the Irish general election. Women equality and diversity. If you haven't made up your mind yet and are wondering which parties have put these issues at the heart of their campaigns, we've got a thought-provoking discussion coming up for you. But first, Roisin is here with some of the stories of the week. Roisin, are you having a good week? Yes, I'm having a great week, thank you very much. Yeah? Is there anything going on that has grabbed your attention? Well, I just think um, we should talk a bit about Her Story 2020 because uh, it's been going for a few years, this um, sort of initiative, I suppose, set up by Melanie Lynch. Uh, and I, uh, some listeners will remember we used to have a regular slot, a Her Story slot, where we, we um, had a piece about an extraordinary Irish woman that no one had ever heard of who'd done amazing things. Um, and since then, the, the Her Story thing has gone from strength to strength, so much so that they're starting this um, Her Story Light Festival, which has been something they've been doing for a while, but this is really huge. Uh, it starts on the weekend of Bridget's Day, which you'll all know is... Um, 31st of January to the Monday 3rd of February and it's going to be marked with a series of illuminations projected onto public buildings around the country and loads of storytelling events walks artistic performances and lots of people have seen the ads as well for that six part RTE documentary which is going to highlight six of these incredible women that um, her story is trying to put back on the map really um, people who didn't make the history books who really should have you know um, and they're also trying to get Bridget's Day to be a national Holiday. I love that. So idea. do I, and I just think more holidays, please. <laughs> but also, you know what I mean. It is fantastic. She we have a such Saint an Patrick's icon. Day. We do, um, and I think that that is something that's getting every year. We seem to be doing more Bridget's Day stuff, and the Irish embassies all over the world in Berlin, New York, and in London, they do events, and it is becoming more of a thing. And there's not many holidays. I don't. Think, is there any holidays that are based around a woman rather than a man? We have Patrick's Day and then well, the Virgin Mary Jesus, gets you. Jesus is, uh, has 25th of December sewn up. Um, it does. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to think of holidays that are around women. So yeah. it would be great from that point of view. I think we'd kind of be unique in the world in, in some ways. There certainly aren't many around the world that are based around women. St. Bridget was a great woman and there is so much myth around her that is actually fascinating yeah. uh, that we, we also should get to know her a bit better. I think we do. And we have been doing over the last few years. I remember Tara Flynn has done some great work in kind of revitalising Bridget and showing her as the kind of feminist icon that she was and really a woman way ahead of her time. I think she might have been responsible for the very first abortion that we know of, you know, with a nun, when a nun became pregnant and then uh, Bridget came in and she made the pregnancy away. go away. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot more to Bridget than we might have thought when we were all doing those uh, crosses at school. Now, Roshi, what's great about this is it's, it's, it actually is happening around the world. Yeah. Uh, in, 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 I think nearly all the continents. Uh, one of the ones that I'm particularly keen on is is the one in Belfast, interestingly, where Belfast City Hall will be illuminated with portraits uh, created by artists and students to celebrate the peace heroines of Northern Ireland, who I think have never got enough attention. When you think of some of the women who are involved in the at the political end of the peace process, but also at the the community end, never got the credit they they deserve. Yeah. So I think this is a this is a fantastic initiative from that point of view. Um, and I suppose while there'll be people we recognise lit up, there'll also just be, uh, you know, it says here mothers, sisters, aunts, teachers, community members. So people that we won't 
know uh, about or won't have heard of will yes. be featured and as well. Do, they have an unsung event. peace heroines, I suppose. They're very unsung peace heroines. Um, and we, we, for example, in, in Westmeath, uh, which is back in my own territory to some extent, it sounds a lovely thing. They're having a special sunset tour to celebrate Bridget's Day um, at the Hill of Ishnoch, which is a magical place in itself. And it, it, it's a, it's a, it starts at 3.30. There is a charge. But it actually sounds delightful and very much in the spirit of St. Bridget. Yeah. And there's things happening in Kerry, in Derry, all over the country and as you said, all over the world. So her story is just, is this kind of amazing movement that has kept on sort of snowballing. One of the things um, I did recently with some friends was that uh, a night on Nolig where we went out for dinner with lots of women from Direct Provision and that was another Her Story sort of led event as well so they really it's not just one time of the year there's constantly throughout the year yeah. things going on so really worth looking out Melanie Lynch is a yeah. titan of, of, of all of this so the other thing that's going on as well and which deserves a bit of attention is this this um, this titanic battle that's happening in West Cork between a man and a woman who are actually a couple. Um, one of them is, is uh, Fianna Fáil, the man, and right. the other is Social Democrat. They're both elected representatives, uh, but they're running for a seat in the same constituency, which right. is causing a bit of a fuss. There was a piece about it in The Guardian. Right. Uh, who, it, it, it's Montague and Capulet stuff. <laughs> right. uh, have you seen this? Yeah, I saw something about it. Yeah, star-crossed lovers. Now, <laughs> there are three seats, which is, in, so actually, in theory... Uh, they could both win a seat which would be immensely exciting. So what's interesting about Holly Cairns and Christopher O'Sullivan is that they are not commenting but nonetheless there is clearly a little bit of a of, of an edge there because um, Holly said when she was asked to comment on it she said she would speak about healthcare reform and left-wing alternatives but she also added there's a whole swathe of people in West Cork who want a progressive option. Mm. Ouch. Right. Okay. Interesting. So we watched that one, the Romeo and Juliet, yeah. and see if there's any. If you don't give a fig about the election, you might just keep an eye on that one. <laughs> this is Cork, so keep an eye just, out I'd for Holly and Christopher. Their chats at the dinner table are, I don't know, I was going to yeah. say interesting, but I don't know if they would be interesting. No, like, they probably don't get to have dinner anyway <laughs> these days. True. So it'll that's be, true. yeah, so maybe that's all to the better. Well, something a bit more depressing that we have to talk about, Cathy, is uh, what they're billing as the mansplaining event of the century, which is going to be happening in Orlando, Florida. I mean, I it's so depressing that I'll just have to tell people there is. I resented having to read this piece. I'm oh, sorry about but that. Carry on. <laughs> so it's a convention. There's a convention that goes on called the 21 Convention, which is all these men talking about how they want to be masculine and not weak and all this kind of thing, which is bad enough. But now there's a sort of side convention called the 21 Convention, which called is called the 22. 22 Convention. Because they can only count up yeah, to sorry. two. <laughs> called the 22 Convention, and this is about making women great again. So basically, uh, it's a convention that it sounds just deeply misogynistic and it's a testosterone-driven, chest-puffing convention where they're basically trying to tell women how to be in the world in a way that's going to please men. So it's an all-male lineup, and only women are allowed to pay the two grand a head to attend it. And they're going to be told to be more, more feminine, how to please men, how to stop all this feminist nonsense and get back to being real women. I think it's just a big fat troll, actually. Do you? And it'll be fascinating to see how many women turn up at it. I mean, what they want to produce out of this for the $2,000, what they're saying is high quality masculine man wants high quality feminine woman to mother his children and set great example for their daughters. And for $2,000, they're promising women that can raise their femininity by 500%. Yeah, that's pretty it's amazing. It's a bit of a bargain, yeah. isn't it? I don't know. I, yeah, I think. And they also want to, they want to help women, guide women to be biologically and naturally who they are meant to be as feminine beings. And this is kind of feminism equals bad, sandwich making equals good, I think is, is the kind of Well, I think you can judge any event by its lineup of panellists. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it includes Alexander J.A. Cortez, who's author of a 12-point list of how to be a beautiful woman, uh, which includes be thin, be able to cook, have long hair, listen to men. It also includes white nationalist Stefan Molino and writer Mike Chernovich, best known for his bold statement that there's no such thing as rape. 
Yeah. And this is why I feel this whole discussion is sullying my mouth. I know. I'm so sorry, Cathy. But one thing that is interesting, they are billing it themselves as the mansplaining event of the century. And another thing that's made me sad recently, because a friend told me about something in work that happened. Men are reclaiming the word mansplaining. You know the way it's an insult yes. and we like to say to men, you know, you're always talking over. But there's now men in offices saying how they had to mansplain something to a woman. Mm. And so they're kind of using it as, um, as a you boast. Know, a val- yeah. It's like turning woke into a into an insult. I yeah. mean, it's it, it, it's such a it's not clever. I know uh, it's been done since time immemorial, but it's it's. I do think it's a troll. But I think, on the other hand, I think people like us are terrified of missing something. Like we missed the Trump thing. We thought he was a joke. Yeah. We, in some ways, we thought Brexit was a joke. There's a lot of things that we ignored, and to our great cost. So I suppose. In many ways, you need this to, should be discussed. You need to we talk be about it and it. say that these things are happening. But we could end on a nice note. I mean, spring is around the corner. This January seems to have lasted 2,003 days, <laughs> if you ask me. I can't believe we're still here in this bloody month. Um, but spring is coming. St. Bridget's Day is coming. All those amazing Her Story events are around the corner. Mm. Um, so there's stuff to be hopeful it's about. It's a great stretch in the evening. There's a... Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and and up St. Bridget. Up St. Bridget. Yes. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Roshi. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. With just nine days to go until we cast our votes in the 2020 Irish general election, we've decided to explore which political parties and candidates have made women, equality and diversity their priority. With me in studio to discuss how the political parties compare on women's issues was Independent Senator Lynn Ruan, Irish Times political journalist Jennifer Bray and CEO of Women for Election, Kirin de Bush. So what have Fine Gael actually done for women and equality during their time in government? Who is fighting for equal pay and more affordable childcare? And what, from a feminist perspective, should we be asking canvassers on the door? It's our General Election Women's Podcast special. Jennifer, you've been out and about, you've been watching everything. I suspect you know the manifesto's backwards at this stage. Um, our producer, Suzanne, has done quite a brilliant thing and she has searched the manifestos for the word woman. And uh, the results are actually quite interesting. Do you have them in front of you there? I do, I do indeed, yeah. And um, the the manifestos, by their nature, are quite lengthy, usually. The, the party's vision for their, the future as they see it. Um, so it, it was um, really quite stark, actually, to see these figures. So if we take the Fine Gael manifesto, they have actually the highest uh, number of, of references to, to women with 38. And then in second place, Sinn Féin with 19. And then Fianna Fáil with only six mentions. And I think uh, I, I checked the Greens as well, as far as I'm aware. It was between, I think it was around 19. So, um, I mean, it's not a kind of catch-all thing. I mean, there will be other references in the manifestos to something like the level of um, increase in midwives. Um, so it's, it, it, just because they don't specifically use the word woman doesn't mean that they don't care. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they clearly attach a different level of priority. Um, to uh, women's issues and we can see that in the figures. What's your impression, Jennifer, of the emphasis on women in this campaign? Are there standout moments? I know it's hugely focused on health and housing, which are very much feminist issues. But in terms of actual references to women, have you witnessed standout moments? Not in terms of women's policies. Honestly, I really feel like women's health care has taken a backseat in this election. Um, The main things uh, that have been standout moments have been massive promises for tax cuts or or huge lofty ambitions to build hundreds of thousands of houses and that's all well and good. But in terms of women's health care, not really. I think the the standout moment for me, uh, there were two moments and actually they came within two hours of each other and it was the launch of the Fianna Fáil Manifesto and the Fine Gael Manifesto. So um, halfway through the, the launch of the Fine Fáil Manifesto, Micheál Martin, the party leader, was asked if he would ensure that he had a gender-balanced cabinet. And he was very quick, I mean, like lightning quick in saying no. And he he just kind of said it's not something he'd get into um, and that it's not a promise that he could make. And I remember thinking just the the the, the, rapid, the way he 
said it was so quick and uh, like he thought about it and it surprised me and then two hours later um, Fine Gael launched their manifesto and Leo Varadkar was asked the same question and he also said no but he said it in a more of an aspirational way he said he'd love to have a gender balanced cabinet it would be great but he couldn't guarantee the amount of uh, who was going to get rep- who's going to get elected to the doll, which parties might go into government with him and on that basis how many women could be in cabinet however he could have said in terms of Fine Gael yes I would aim or I would love or I'll make it my my best ambition to have a gender balanced cabinet and it just seemed to me it was completely discounted on the basis of sure we can't make a promise like that so we're not going to go there and that was within two hours of each other and I just thought it showed a real lack of ambition. Kirin, you are the expert in this area. Uh, you're responsible for launching many women onto into Irish politics and giving them the courage and the information to, to put themselves out there. Is, that a fa- is, is this fair, what we're doing? Because obviously the parties are hugely different in size. Some are more traditional than others. I mean, you have the figures there in front of you for how many female candidates as a percentage of the whole candidates going on. How does it look to you? Well, uh, I suppose looking at the positives first, for the, for the first time in the history of the state, there's a woman running in every constituency. Now, that is very positive and it's a step forward and it's a remarkably low bar. I hear a uh, butt coming. That we're, we're <laughs> it's more than just one butt. Um, you know, to, to be saying that this is very welcome, there should be at least half the candidates in every constituency should be women. And what do we um, have as we speak? We have just over the 30%. And if you look at the parties, and I, and I think this comes back to the gender balance and cabinet issue as well. If you look at the parties... The two, currently the two larger parties, uh, Fine Gael and Fine Fáil, seem to regard the 30% uh, threshold. So the gender quota legislation requires parties to run at least 30% uh, of a gender balance in their candidate slate. They just made the 30%. It was just over 30%, 30.5% and 31%. That 30% is not a target. That's a minimum floor. And that's Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin who are the three biggest parties. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. And after that then the Labour Party and Sinn Féin don't do much better. And and it's not until you get to the Green Party and the Social Democrats that you can see what a balanced ticket would look like. So the Social Democrats, uh, more than half their candidates are women and the Green Party is just over 40%. And that's what a balanced ticket should look like. And that's now, what a balanced fairness, constituency the figures, should Kieran, look like. Social Democrats, they have 20 candidates. Yeah. Um, now, well over nearly a third of those are women. Uh, so I, I think maybe, I, again, I'm always, I'm always sort of scared of distortion and these things and making things 57% sounds very impressive yeah. till you look at the, at the, at the, the number of candidates involved. Um, are you very disappointed by this? Particularly with the, the two larger parties. And I think that ties back to their, their gender balanced cabinet, because when they're only running 30 percent of their candidates are women, it's going to be a struggle in turn to have a gender balanced cabinet. Um, but they could at the very least say that from their party nominations that they would have a gender balance. And that's what all of the parties should be doing at this stage. Um, but we would also be pointing out that as well as the 30% being a floor and a minimum, it's also set to move to 40%. And the parties are at the moment are going to struggle. Um, within Women for Election, I suppose, once the nominations close, we're already looking to the next election. Um, and they're really going to struggle with that. Kieran, what's the problem? The problem is they're not asking enough women. Um, and they're not asking enough women from enough different backgrounds, and enough different communities. Because um, if... Women for election, we train and we support women to succeed in political life. And part of our training is we would have political reps in, so women who have gone on to be elected. And to a woman, they tell us they were asked to run. And they were usually asked more than once. And these are women who are serving in cabinet, have served in cabinet, are on their local council. Whatever um, place they are within our political representative system, they have all been asked to run. And while the Social Democrats and the Green Party aren't on the scale of the other parties, of the larger parties, they have consciously gone out and ensured that they have a balanced ticket. Kirin, there'll be people listening to this who will say women, a lot of women are well able to speak up for themselves. Why are they waiting to be asked? An awful lot of women are well uh, able to speak up for themselves. And and the women who have told us they've been asked, I've always been taken aback because I, I would have been astounded that they hadn't put themselves forward. But we don't. For whatever reason, we generally don't. 
Um, and the parties are aware of this. And we will talk about, you know, and we have talked before about the systemic barriers and the five C's that were identified in the Batchik report. But the key thing just for the remind, parties... Just remind people of the five C's. Just cash, culture, childcare, conventions and, and I'm going on confidence. <laughs> I'm always afraid I'll miss one. Confidence, the key one. Um, and what the parties can do and can readily do is ask a woman to run. Uh, we, within Women for Election, can do a lot in terms of equipping women with the skills, in boosting their confidence. Quite often those women have the skills already. It's just to recognise those skills within themselves and to provide practical tips around running a campaign. The parties need to ask women to run as well. Okay. Lynn, did you wait to be asked? <laughs> no, well, I wasn't asked. It was just suggested to me <laughs> that I should run. And is I it, said, OK, let's do it. <laughs> can I just ask, that's a, is that the same thing, Kiri? Is somebody I, suggesting something nearly the same as asking them? Pretty much is, yeah. OK. Yeah, I think within the parties, though, there's a deeper problem as well in terms of getting women on the ticket. And it's not just the fact of asking them or them putting themselves forward. It's that um, men, especially in the two biggest parties, have dominated those parties for a lifetime. OK, so what what man is going to stand aside and what leader is going to say, I know you're involved in this party 20 or 30 years, but maybe it's time for you to move over now and, and change your career and actually make space for women. So just adding women on to the end of a ticket. So like take my constituency, um, Dublin Southwest, where I get my vote. When I'm driving around, I'm absolutely delighted to see the amount of women on, on the poll in my community. I do have a, a great choice. You have Carly Bailey, you have Sandra Fay for Solidarity, you, then you have Catherine Sapone, you have Ellen O'Malley Dunlop, and then you have Deirdre O'Donovan from Fianna Fáil. But yet she's running as a third Fianna Fáil candidate in that community. And that is tokenistic because there's not a third Fianna Fáil seat. So, and I'm sure she would be a great politician, but actually I'm looking going, that is very, very unfair. So what they've done is they've put Charlie O'Connor back on the ticket. Why is Charlie O'Connor back on the ticket? He's back on the ticket because Tala know him and love him. So it's about obtaining a seat. It's not about getting the best person into the job, new faces, getting women in. It's like, what candidate is so institutional to that community? Charlie get him on the ticket. So actually, why is Deirdre O'Donovan and John Lahart not running together? Because there is possibly two Fianna Fáil seats, you know, but there's definitely not three. So it's actually about men being told they have to get out of that space and leaders actually choosing women over male candidates that have been involved in the party for a very long time and let go of that loyalty, that tribal loyalty they might have to the men that they've worked with for a long, long time. Lynn, a politics head listening to this might just think, gosh, that's so impractical. If Charlie O'Connor is able to win a seat, why not let him at it? Yeah, but then that's about power. It's not about social change. It's not about refreshing party. It's not about refreshing politics. And it's definitely not about making uh, politics much more gender friendly. It, that means then parties only operate within a space where they can gain a seat and a seat only and they don't care who's in that seat. Kirin. And I would defy any party to identify any community in any part of the country where there isn't a woman embedded in the local community structures, who isn't on the Tidy Towns Committee, on the board of the school, who isn't involved in ensuring that X, Y and Z is happening in their local community. There are women there who are known throughout their community. Why aren't they on the ticket? Why aren't the parties asking them to go on the ticket? Because those women are there. Lynn. You have focused on the intersectionality, yes. which is actually, I think, is a terrible word. But anyway, yeah. you tell me about intersectionality <laughs> and how it's reflected in the female candidates in this campaign. Yeah, so for me, I'm a big supporter of obviously um, gender quotas um, and equality within politics amongst genders. But I think that's too simplistic. It's not just about 50% men and 50% women, because if we only aim for 50% women, we're going to be only able to reach those women that can overcome those five C's and actually enter the political race, um, which means they will probably be white middle class women. So for me, just to replace 50% of the white middle class men with 50% of white middle class women, well, then that actually doesn't do anything for the diverse representation that society needs, whether that be for women of colour, for traveller women and for working class women and then from communities that have a high amount of deprivation like mine. So for a working class woman like me, when I look at women in politics, I want them to sound like me. 
I want to, I want when they focus on women issues for them to understand that the health outcomes for women in working class communities is very different than the health outcomes for them as middle class women. That um, the gender pay gap is not going to be something that women in my community are going to be even affected by or be able to be part of. So sometimes we can have women in politics that will focus on women's issues, but they'll be middle class issues. So for me, the 50% that we aim for, we have to dig down further into that what 50%, that 50% looks like. So I would be looking for parties then to break quotas down within that 50 when we get to the 50% quota. So I would want them to go, well, what percentage of traveller women need to be on the ticket and what percent of uh, migrant women need to be on the ticket and break it down even further so that actually we're not just going from, um, you know, male middle class domination to male and female middle-class domination. And speaking of <laughs> intersectionality, Lynn, the, 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 one of the topics of the week, unfortunately, uh, was Catherine Noon and you have a daughter with autism. Yes. So this spoke directly to you. It did. Um, I don't usually get involved when, 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 a poli- I, when a politician maybe says something that they shouldn't have said or, you know, has said something mm. quite offensive. I usually tend to stay out of that because I'm not one for calling for people's heads. Um, I remember Anne Louise Gilligan telling me a long, long time ago that um, social change or running a campaign or changing hearts and minds is an educational process. So when someone says something wrong, I like to give them the benefit of the doubt that they will use that as a space to grow when someone points out what you have said is not accurate, it's misinformation. And I hope that a person can step into that space and go, wow, I was really ignorant there and actually I need to learn more about this and I need to do better. So I tend not to jump on people when they say something wrong until, you know, but with, 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 with Senator Noon, unfortunately, um, you know, I was driving my daughter to college that morning and I see the impact of that. So I'm like, well, I actually have to speak up here because... She was, was your daughter listening? Um, she had seen some of the commentary that morning on Twitter like, and uh, and then I have a lot of friends who, who are on the spectrum as well and there was conversations going back and forth amongst us. So I felt it was important to use my platform to be an ally in that moment and not to get into the political fight of Catherine and this and that, but to actually go that you cannot pick out negative traits about what you perceive to be negative traits about somebody and then apply them to autism because that's not true. Like I have a daughter who I wish I could actually reduce the amount of empathy she had so she wasn't so sensitive to the world all day long, you know. And, you know, we you already have young people already worried that people do people think I'm odd or do people think I'm weird or how do I explain this to people or how can I build these friendships and will people accept me and then you have the national news saying no empathy awkward in a room you know and you're like that's not actually true and I felt it was important to speak up about that because like to correct the misinformation really and also to maybe plead to and I mean I have spoken to Catherine in, um, in the last few days since that and she has acknowledged to me she was extremely ignorant and, you know, that she needs to do better. And I suggested she needed to communicate that to the people that it affected the most. Um, Are you happy with the way Fine Gael dealt with it? No, I'm not. And, and not because of disciplinary stuff, whatever. If somebody puts out such misinformation about a community that struggles, not necessarily all the time because of stuff related to their autism, but how people in society respond to them. So if you're a party that really cares about people's well-being, people's mental health and the narrative that that can cause, well, then you should be sitting down and saying it's not about apologies. It's about we need to do better. What do we need to do now to fix this and actually correct the misinformation? So for the Taoiseach, and I know he was probably just caught on this hop to answer. And I would hope that if he had more time to think about it, he would do it differently. But to just say that that's good and Catherine has apologised and that's good enough for me. And I'm going, wait, 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 hang on. What about the thousands of kids and adults at home with autism who are now wondering if their colleagues think they have no empathy or if the political structures care that much about them that they can just accept an apology like that when we can't even get kids a start in school because of the lack of autism places. And it's like it's so big for people. And I just think I would have preferred Fina Gale to sometimes on a human level to acknowledge when things and just say I'll do better. 
Like we don't, not, not everybody is fully formed and knows everything about, every, you can't be all things to everyone. So to pretend that you're, you know, at the age of 30 or 40, that yeah. you know everything. It's okay to go, actually, I didn't know that. I, I always totally thought I'd know everything at my age. Well, you and don't. that I'd be very serene and <laughs> sort of in control of my life. Sadly, I'm and a I, long yeah. way from 30 and I'm still not. Yeah. Jennifer, there's a bloody big elephant in the room of the women's podcast, really, in terms of how women have conducted themselves over the past 12 months. Um, I'm sorry to say uh, there's been Maria Bailey, who I know wasn't elected when she um, did that. Um, yes, off the swing. And there was Verona Murphy. And then there was the digging into the past record, the tweet record of Lorraine Clifford Lee. And now we have Catherine Noon. Have we a bit of a problem? I don't think so. Honestly, I, I think a lot of people will disagree with what I'm about to say, but we all say and do stupid things. I do all the time. I know that for sure. And I think um, ma- and, and I think male politicians actually are better at saying stupid things off the record or not in front of a microphone. Honestly, that's what I think. And I think the female... Do they get away with it more? Yes, they do. They do. And they're just better. They've, they've been in this job for a very long time, like you pointed out earlier. And... And they kind of know if they have a controversial opinion, they just don't say it. Um, and I don't think, honestly, I don't think that we have a problem with women per se. Now, some of the stuff I'm not going to go, I'm not defending anything here, by the way. I'm just saying I think that maybe women uh, haven't had that sort of institutional sort of um, advantage, let me just say, of knowing what to say and knowing what not to say. And, and I think um, uh, at the same time, also, there's a sure need, like you say, for for female politicians maybe to to get better informed about certain topics. Can yeah, I mean, exactly. Is this, is this what frightens women? Well, I I suppose that is part of it. But we need women, and and I suppose to, to pick up on what Lynn was saying as well, we need women in all our diversity within our political system. Uh, that's not to say that racism or xenophobia or homophobia are acceptable from our politicians. And the, I suppose the most, the steadiest way we can ensure that we have a political system that respects everyone is to ensure we have a political system that echoes our society and our diversity. Um, and within Women for Election, for example, we're very aware of it's not only more women, but it's more women in all our diversity. So we have worked with groups like the Immigrant Council of Ireland with the National Traveller Women's Forum, with groups to ensure that who whose membership is particularly underrepresented, uh, to ensure that we can play our part in that. But I would add to that, as well as working class women, we need to particularly look at working class, or not particularly, but we need to ensure we look at working class women in rural Ireland because they are a voice that are not heard within our political system at the moment. Absolutely. And, and yeah. are absolutely not there at the moment yeah. or are not there in sufficient numbers to have a loud enough voice. Lynn. Can I just say as well, like I think, you know, if, if a woman says or does something that's not acceptable or appropriate, it's not reflective of women in general, just like I'm from Tala and if someone on in my estate does something, it's not reflective of me as a person from Tala. So I suppose it's, it's, if, an, it's if an individual has a view and they express it, that's that's personal to them. It shouldn't like be then generalised to an, an issue with women or that women. But are, isn't it a burden know? we carry yeah. that we are seen to represent the entire <laughs> population of women? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, that's just not true, you know. And it's the same with men. Like we don't judge every other man based on never. a comment that one man makes. You no, know? we yeah. never say, "Oh, that's men yeah. for you." When they yeah. say something stupid, yeah, we kind of say, "That's that that's idiot that from that particular party." Yeah, uh, Jennifer, you were getting to the 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 the, the issues around on the doorsteps, as the they doorsteps, say. Indeed, yes, indeed. you were canvassing with independent Catherine Zampone, a minister in the last government recently. Um, are people bringing up? issues, women's issues. Is she bringing them up? How how is is that working? Yeah. Well, she is. Well, because she is the outgoing Minister for Children, people do recognise her in that role. So they will ask her questions about it. They'll recognise her as that and they'll remember her talking about the National Child Care Scheme or various different schemes that she would have brought in. So they will tackle her on it. And they did. To be totally honest with you, the biggest issue in the constituency was housing. But the second biggest issue, I would say, was child care. And the, it seemed to me that one thing that kept coming up was the waiting list for um, parents to get their kids into a private childcare provider. And, and it, seems, it seems to have been 
especially children under the age of one. So maybe women who are just going back to work with babies at the age of nine months to 12 months and saying to her on the doorsteps, you know, there's where where can I where can I go? How can I get back to work? Um, and are men asking these questions, Jennifer? One man did. <laughs> one man did. So there you go. Um, but by and large, um, not really. And I, I hate to be generalizing, but no, no. Um, uh, most of the men brought up housing very vociferously, very strongly. Um, and, you know, she is defending her record as the Minister for Children on the doorsteps. Um, and she's talking about kind of the investment that she made sure was put in. And to give her credit, she was the only independent woman at Cabinet. You know, the Independent Alliance had their group, all men. We had all Fine Gael ministers and then you had Catherine Spohn on her own. So just to give her some credit, she did actually manage to effect change and to bring in the first, um, well, you know, the, the, the subsidy scheme, which, which I think a lot of parents welcomed, albeit that the, the level of subsidy is probably still way too low. OK, while we're talking about that, tell me about the different parties' uh, manifestos on this and tell us what they've done for us first. OK, um, well... Fine Gael, for example. I mean, if we're looking at women's issues in terms of Fine Gael, the thing that sticks out to me is the referendum on, on the 8th. Now, it's the women of women and men of Ireland who voted in that referendum overwhelmingly. Landslide. Landslide, indeed. Um, but it, it, it did fall to the Fine Gael government to enact that legislation and it was not easy. There were hundreds of amendments, but it was sometimes torturous in the dull and Shannon listening to some of the arguments over and over again. But they got it through and um, the law was brought in uh, on January 1st. A lot of opposition to it being brought in that soon. A lot of doctors and medics warning that it, it was way too early. But now in Ireland, for the first time, we have free, safe, legal access to abortion as women. And I don't think that that is an achievement that should be overlooked to be honest with you. And 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 the other, there's a couple of other things that they did. Um, they did set up a, a Citizen Assembly on Gender Equality, which is meeting now over five weekends up until July that will look at the role of women uh, at home and in the workplace. And there were a couple of other things, you know, it's not all just about what help, what, what can help women, it's about men as well. So they brought in, in 2016, I think it was, two weeks of paid paternity leave. So that helps the family and that helps women uh, by proxy. So there, there were, they, you know, it would, be, it would be unfair of me to sit here and say they did nothing because they didn't do nothing. They did some very valuable things. Michal Martin, actually, almost, <laughs> almost alone in his party, yeah. um, uh, came out in favour of, 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 of repeal. Yeah. Is there a worry, Jennifer, about what might happen when this comes up for review as it is supposed to do in three years. Is it two years now? Yeah, so it'll be, yeah. So it, it's quite soon. It'll be quite soon into the, the term of the new government. In answer to your question, yes, there is worry. And um, I've actually been digging around on this by coincidence over the last day or two and talking to people in all the parties. And the fear is that when the legislation comes up for a review, that far from elements of it which people feel need to be removed, and I'm thinking here of the three-day wait uh, to get access to abortion medication, that far from that being removed, that it actually could go in the opposite direction because... You know, if you look at the opinion polls now, Fianna Fáil are ahead, not that much, but ahead of Fine Gael. And it seems to me that the independent parties seem to be eyeing up Fianna Fáil a little bit more. If it happens that they get into government, we have to remember that half of their party voted against a referendum. And, and it is important to say that. Now, I'm aware that if we had some of those politicians here and now talking to us, they would tell you, well, actually, I didn't oppose a referendum per se. I'm just worried about the 12 week, etc, etc. Fine. But that the record shows that they were against it. And we have that famous picture of the... Yeah, and it is quite striking, actually. I, I looked at it again there yesterday and I, I still kind of... It still surprised me. But regardless, I think um, the fear is that some of those politicians will come under pressure locally from people who voted for them on the basis that this is how they voted for the re in terms of the referendum and that that pressure will come to bear. Michal Martin said in the last week, the people of Ireland have voted and this will not happen. But as we've seen before, he does not speak for his entire party. And it is something we're going to need to keep an eye on. And actually, it is something we'll be working on here in the Irish Times in the next couple of days. Excellent. We'll be watching out for that. Kieran, do you see a lot to cheer about in some of these manifestos? Well, what struck me when looking through the manifestos um, particularly was that women, if, if you did a search for women, we largely appeared, if not exclusively appeared, in women's health. And um, Now, women's health is a crucial issue and we've seen in recent years more than ever how vital it is and, and how neglected it has been and, and how much has 
not happened. However, we're more than health issues as well. Um, and it just didn't seem to appear in the other areas. Now, what I didn't do was a search for men to see how often they appeared. Um, but Damn. it does make me <laughs> wonder. Um, what I would say, though, and while we are non-partisan within Women for Election, I do think we also need to, to recognise and acknowledge when a commitment is made that will do a lot. And Fianna Fáil have made a commitment to introduce gender quotas in local elections. Yes. And I think that could make a significant difference to our political system. Um how likely we is would that have, to happen? Well, that's that's a whole other issue. Mm. But I, it has to happen um, because we saw in the last local elections, again, the two larger parties didn't even meet the 30% threshold. Um, so it has to happen if, if we are serious about having a gender balance within our political system. Um, and there are other issues as well. Um, Jennifer there was talking about childcare and there's been huge progress made within childcare uh, in recent years. And I suppose if I take off my Women for Election hat, because I campaigned on childcare for the previous 10 years, there's been enormous progress made and the National Childcare Scheme was a huge step forward. And it was on the back of a very underpaid workforce, largely women, yes. um, who will shortly be protesting. Um, w- we need to take childcare seriously. We need to see it as a parental issue, not as a mother's issue, but as a parental issue. Because there are parents up and down the country who can't find childcare, particularly for younger babies. Um, There are parents up and down the country who pay way more than a mortgage would cost or their rent would cost on childcare costs. Um, So we need to be taking it seriously. Um, And it is one of the five C's in terms of the blocks for women entering politics as well. As a country, we spend a huge amount on childcare, but it's parents spending it, not the government investing in it. And yet, as Jennifer points out, only one man asked about it on the doorsteps. To be fair, I was only with her for around two hours. I can't, I know oh, two hours a long time. Dublin, uh, <laughs> Nowadays. <laughs> but there are a couple... Dublin Southwest is very diverse. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. Of course, it's a wonderful <laughs> constituency full of wonderful I mean, people. Just, just, if you can try and be objective, which you are actually very good at, um, do you see a lot on offer? in the promises or is it all ridiculous and terribly aspirational? I think coming from a community that has watched promises like it's very hard when like I mean I know I'm in in politics now and I'm as an individual doing okay but communities like mine are at the back of the line so when promises are made even if you do reach some disadvantaged people, you're, there's there's layers and layers and layers of it. So there's people trying to get from the very back that will never, ever benefit from any election promise. So it's very hard for me to believe in promises when, as a community growing up, we never felt impacted by any political decision unless it was a negative one <laughs> and it was policy on, on austerity and stuff. Like, obviously, addiction and poverty are, 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 are huge parts of um, what I want to see when people create change. Like, I mean, in Bluebell and in Chicor, just in the start of January, we had three young women die um, from drugs. And and we weren't, we're not even out of January yet. And now there's a fourth person. There was three women, one man. You know, and that stuff, it's like our social class, our uh, lack of investment in us as communities is causing our debts. And that doesn't make the news. Is anybody you know? offering anything in no, the manifestos on, 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 to, to... Well, I think I've mentioned... I've, I've heard Fianna Fáil mention community development a few times now, which is great because it, community development was very impacted... Um, and run by and participated in by women all over the country, rural Ireland as well. So community development and its principles are so important to get communities to have agency and autonomy and be able to actually educate themselves, share that wealth and, and to be able to have some sort of upward mobility. And what's Fianna Fáil offering? So well, exactly. see, see um, they've just mentioned it a few times. It's well, not that, worries you know, me, yes. so see, but and like it's Eamon O'Queeve was the one that actually began the rollback when he was in that ministerial position. So they've, community development was very centralised in communities and communities had a huge amount of uh, input themselves. And over the last 20 years, what happened is it stopped being a bottom-up approach within communities and they introduced SICAP and then it became top-down and they moved community development closer and closer and closer to the state. So now it's so close to the state and then you've, um, you've, you've Catherine Bourne, who unfortunately has very publicly spoken about, you know, her dislike for drugs task forces. So when you're dismantling drugs task forces over a number of years and we have an increase in death rising, we've not reinvested back in communities. So that's the important stuff for me. I want my community members and women around the country and men around the country that are dying 
um, because of austerity. Austerity has killed our communities. I want to know what people are going to do about that. And that doesn't get captured in high level policy. That needs to be specific targeted investment in task forces. Is anyone doing that? Is anybody saying? No, does not. No. Green Party have a good... Um, policy around community development. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I know historically they had a, a good... Um, but we need to do a whole overhaul of SICAP. Right now, you have community development in the Department of Rural and Community <laughs> Affairs. I shouldn't be there because they don't actually understand what community development is. Building a road from one end of the county to the next is not community development, but they seem to want to frame it as community yeah. development. It's a mad That's not combination, what it's about. yes. It's, it's a mad combination that needs to be parted. And that mm. really impacts women in communities. Um, really, really not having that community development approach um, in, in the most deprived communities is actually really negatively impact on women. Kieran, I saw you're nodding your head there at certain points with your, mm. with your non-partisan <laughs> <laughs> I think there are communities up and down the country for whom this recovery is, is, is not felt um, and will not be felt for a long time. But I think also uh, Lynn's point about people feeling that removed from politics um, because an awful lot of the policies will never reach them or they will never see them. Um, and I, I think that's why issues like childcare, like community development, like investment in family resource centres, all of those issues will have um, huge impact. And they're the types of things that will also ensure that more women can enter into politics um, because politics will become more relevant, but also will become more accessible as well. When are the childcare marches? The 5th of February. I think it's teachers as well next week, isn't there? Well, I hope there's don't a childcare strike on it's the so 5th and yeah. it's um, early years educators who, yeah. who are on strike. Right. Jennifer, can we just do a quick run around the different parties and mm. what, they're, what, the, what they're promising to women on women's issues in particular? We're leaving health and housing out of this now. They're obviously, they matter to everyone, mm. but just focus on women's issues. Well, it seems to me that the, the majority of the manifestos, when, they, when they're thinking or talking about women's issues, they're talking about childcare. And, and it, it is one of the, the, the big topics. So I think one of the things that really stuck out to me was Labour. They were one of the first parties kind of out of the traps with their proposal. And they are proposing um, a state-run childcare scheme. Um, so we piloted around 600 children at first, and they're saying it could reduce costs by up to two thirds. So I hate pilots. Well, Jennifer. the problem is that if you if you target it at everybody, it could cost up to three billion a year. So they're saying let's pilot at a certain amount of people. If it works and people like it, then we'll have a national conversation. Well, of course, that's a work. phrase that I hate. A national conversation. I hate that phrase. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, would you die on a hill? <laughs> die on a hill for many things. For a national conversation. The closer I Sorry. get to election day, <laughs> go on. Yeah. The closer You're I get to die on a hill. Anyway, yes. Um, so that's that's oh, their uh, that's their proposal. Um, so they say initially, if if your childcare cost is more than thirty percent of one parent's net income, you can get onto the scheme in the beginning. Fianna Fáil are looking at the the childcare scheme that we talked about. Um, brought in by Catherine's poll when she was the minister and they're talking about increasing the subsidy by 60 euros. So that basically means it'll go up from 20 euros to 80 euros. Now, the question is, will this cost just be passed on by the provider to the parents? And that remains to be seen. Um, and they're also talking about expanding the ETI scheme. Um, Fine Gael, they... What's, what's the ETI scheme? This is the preschool scheme. Yes. Um, and this was given uh, for, as an extra year and uh, in recent years. And that too had kind of a... Unintended consequence of, of filling up more places in, in preschool. It's also not provided in the summer, which means exactly it doesn't so allow for women to work. Indeed. So um, for three hours a day. Three hours, yeah. So yes, yeah, so the parties are looking at expanding those hours. Not by much, I will say, from 38 to 40 weeks. And the costs are small, only 17 million. Fine Gael, they're mainly looking at parental leave. So they've made this a big thing in the last couple of years. And they're talking in their manifesto about extending parental leave by a further seven weeks. Um, so this is an existing, uh, in addition to existing maternity and paternity uh, entitlements. Um, I will say Sinn Féin's manifesto really piqued my interest in terms of they they have a couple of things which I thought were really welcome. And they looked at obviously childcare, but they also looked at kind of women's health. And I know you were saying, we wouldn't go, but just very quickly, one of the things that struck me was they were talking about introducing mental health assessments as part of a maternal health health strategy six to eight weeks after birth. I think that's a great idea. Um, they're talking about provision of uh, free uh, female hygiene products for students and those in direct provision. Also a really good idea and a really good measure. Um, and they're talking about um, IVF. And critically, 
they are committing to implementing the result, the Scali report, which obviously was about uh, the cervical check controversy. Many, many women worried about um, what happened in the last couple of years there. So, I mean, you could look at it as in some of the parties are kind of throwing money at it in terms of childcare. Will that actually translate into um, lower costs for parents or will the providers just hike up the cost? So Fianna Fáil have said if that happens, they'll introduce legislation to make sure they can't. I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know how that's possible. Is it possible? I don't know. Well, I mean, they, they insist they can't interfere with the private market when it comes to housing. Well, so, I mean, there is a bit of double <laughs> speed. Know, yeah. you'd, have to, you'd have to wonder. So there can, there's some of the, the, the main ones. And if I may just finish, the, the Greens, they seem to be focusing on women at work. Um, I don't know. I'll leave the other people to make up their mind about the manifestos. I'm not going to say one way or the other, but they're talking about carrying out a review of taxation uh, that is gender informed. And they're also talking about introducing mandatory gender quotas of 30% on the executive boards of all large companies registered in Ireland. Um, And the one thing I will say finally that I didn't see and I was really disappointed in in the manifestos was no mention of what they're going to do about women's refuges. Serious problems, women getting access to refuges. Well, the one the one reference I saw, actually, and, it's, and it, it, it happens to coincide with the women's aid policy as well, which was to provide a statutory entitlement to paid leave for those who suffer domestic violence, mm. uh, which obviously makes plenty of sense. But I think there's a lot of spade work to be done before that. Um, Kirin. Um, I, I just wanted to make the point that without getting into the nitty gritty of the various different childcare policies, which I could wax lyrical on all day, um, but the issue of the issue of parental leave and particularly paid parental leave, because while Ireland, if you combine maternity, paternity, and parental leave, we have a long period of leave, but of paid leave and of well paid leave, we have absolutely no well paid leave. There's no statutory entitlement to be well paid. Um, and that's one of the huge barriers that's there for parents. Um, and particularly if you look at politicians, then they, in turn, they actually don't have any entitlement to uh, parental leave. That's a very and paid interesting point. Leave. Why do women have to take sick leave rather than maternity that's leave? That's what I was going to come to Because it's a political system designed for men. Um, and, you know, if you look, even if you look across to the UK and what they've been doing, in terms of having a locum MP system where locum can cover the constituency work. I saw they're, Stella they're, Creasy, for example, exactly uh, looking for a, a stand-in while she was having her baby. Yeah, no, I think she's the only MP to date who's had a, a locum MP. Um, but those are the types of initiatives we need to be taking within our political system as well. Uh, we have a number of women running and a number of men who have very young babies Um they, they need to know that the, the political system can accommodate their family life, uh, both women and men. And at the moment, it, it's very hard to build a family life within politics. And it's particularly so if you're from outside of Dublin. Absolutely. I am the daughter of a TD long, long ago, but really we never saw him. Um, Lynn. Um, you are actually one of those soldiers in the campaign for the Shannad. What is that like now? Um, in Like right now at this minute? Yes. Um, well, I suppose we don't go to the polls um, till the 24th of March. So we're very much in planning stage and looking at the work I've done to date and trying to see what I can extend into the next Shannon once I'm there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of building our vision and our campaign and, and hopefully then translating um, a message and a vision to people that have placed their vote in me for the past four years and hope that I can, because obviously it's a very different campaign. You're not, knock, you don't, you can try knock on doors, but you'll probably get one every hundred that still live there, you know, off the, off the register. Do you actually get in the car and drive up to see um, county councillors in I don't need Donegal. to do that. You don't? No, because I'm Trinity panel, so it's the graduates. You are, that's yeah. an ideal position to yeah. be in. Yes. Yeah, so that, it's a little bit different, like, and I think... Um, you and Shane Ross. Yeah, correct. well, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm, in that, I'm in that thread of sea, <laughs> um, that business that business sea. Um, but I think when when I was looking back over the last few weeks of uh, women's issues in terms of what I want to focus on, I suppose, once I um, can continue to, to do the work that I'm doing, one of them, you mentioned the sick leave in, in the Oireachtas is a big issue. Like, you know, I mean, having to sign off sick and having to do that on a weekly basis and hand in a sick note. Like, so you're not even getting or your maternity leave because you're actually yes. being pulled back into the chamber just to hand in your sick note, you know. 
But there's two other things that keep coming up for women and it's not being addressed. And I think often some people are pretending to address it. But one of those is a child maintenance, a statutory child maintenance agency so that women can actually access um, adequate maintenance. Um, sometimes men, but it is the majority of women looking to access maintenance, child maintenance uh, to for financial support and rearing their children from their um, ex-partner or the father of their child. And it's a real, real, real big issue. Women in, in communities like mine that are on one parent family payments, if they, they it, it's their responsibility to pursue maintenance. The state should be pursuing the man or else the state should actually provide the income to the woman and then they should extract it from the man. Um, and whether that's through revenue, whether wherever we set that up, but it actually we actually need to stop putting the burden on women. And this is a huge issue. It's a huge, huge issue. And there's so many women now that are pretending they're getting maintenance because they are so embarrassed having to keep going on a weekly basis and asking the other person for money rather than it just being automatic you know it just being there it being in their account whatever way they may get it there's a few different options that we're looking at from all around Europe and how we can actually manage it but child maintenance is so big and not only when you say say if you're on one parent family payment and you say that you're receiving 40 euro from the partner now you might not be receiving that but you're saying that because you really don't want to go to court to have to prove it you are means tested on that small amount of money and your rent allowance, your HAP, your your actual one parent family payment gets reduced. So in Ireland, the social welfare and, and a department try and say that they have a maintenance recovery unit, which is a complete lie. They don't. So a maintenance recovery unit ideally would actually be additional money to the woman. But actually the state began to recoup some of its one parent family payments back into the state. So women didn't end up with additional income that they were actually just recouping from men. So that's not a maintenance recovery for women. That doesn't benefit women, you know. So women are forced into the courts and um, usually don't end up getting the money. Um, and it's very, very uh, stressful. So that's one of the things. Another thing that keeps coming up, um, whether it be older women, um, and I'm sure it's the same for men, but maybe because they are at that age, maybe they were they were homemakers, but they contact me and they've maybe never married their partner. So they can't get a widow's pension. And they could have been with their partner 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And so marriage is still the bar for you to be recognised as somebody that was no able to actually... No common law entitlement. No, no common law entitlement. My mother would fall into that same bracket as well. So with my father for 40, 40 you know, whatever amount of years and wouldn't be able to access. Young women have come to me um, from working class communities, especially um, their partners in, in a number of those, actually, their partners are taking their lives and they can't access any sort of money then to make up for that income gone from their household. So they're already dealing with a, an awful, awful situation where their partner has very, you know, suddenly but left their be, lives. You'll be, you'll be focusing on Yes, on I think there should be a issues. child payment. So yes. if you're saying, well, there's no common law and you're not married. Well, why is there not some sort of payment that if, 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 if a man, it's not a widow's pension, but it's a child's pension, you know? So if you're the child of a partner that has um, died there should be some sort of state intervention to make sure that child doesn't end up in poverty because of the sudden lack of income from the second parent, you know, in the same way that somebody can access a widow's pension. So there's lots of issues like that that don't really get spoke about and, and, and talked about when we're at that kind of election politics at a national level. But there they are, are very real issues for women. Jennifer, I'm going to leave the final word to you. Oh no, the pressure. <laughs> because because the, pressure. the pressure is terrible because you're out there in the middle of all this and you're trying to keep your objective hat on, as indeed Kieran does and has managed to a point, I think. <laughs> um, is there, are, are you generally cheered by this? Is it a bit dispiriting? Are you just hearing more of the same old, same old? Hearing lots of the same old, same old, but I am cheered by it because there are a lot of issues which haven't been talked about, even what you're talking about now. Um, like I said, I hate the phrase national conversation, but we are having lots of them, um, whether it be about transport, whether it be about childcare. Um, and that is to be welcomed. And that's a good thing. And there's space being made for it. The campaign is long enough to allow for it and we're seeing it across all the different media platforms indeed here and on radio TV and I think it's I think it's good and I think it's a chance for us to get issues that we have out into the open to put them to politicians on the doorsteps and say you want my vote you need to do this so it's the it's basically the Irish people's time to set the mandate for the next five years and I think that's exciting maybe I'm naive but that's 
No, it I, is exciting. I think it is. I think it's why Kirin is doing what she does. It's why Lynn is doing what she's doing. And it's why we're having this conversation this morning. So in the name of heaven, go out and vote. Um, and thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Kirin. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thanks to our guests, Jennifer Bray, Lynn Ruan and Kirin Debouche. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we are on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by Roisin Engel and Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan. I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.